series this morning called Join Now and Get All This for Free. And um, today, I think this is one of the most important, and that is we were talking about that each of us receives undeniable proof of God's goodness. Back in 2004, there was a tsunami that was created as a result of an earthquake in the Indian Ocean. And you probably remember that it was something of just complete and utter devastation as a wall of water 80 to, two, to 100 feet tall uh, swept inland into Indonesia and other countries around the area. And over 200,000 people were killed as a result of that one event. And you look at a, a situation like that's literally the number of people that died is twice the number of people in Hardin County. And if you can think of an event that would be so devastating as to wipe out of existence everyone we see and know and love within this entire county, you, you would have difficulty understanding why would God allow that? How can, how can that happen? How could a God who is good allow things like that to happen? And we read the book of Job and, and, and see other instances like that. We see Job struggles with this. This is the, the greatest aspect of the, the book of Job is that he struggles with the fact that he knows God is good, but he sure doesn't seem good in all the things that are happening, all the things that are going on. And we're, we're also educated by the people that surround Job that try to answer the question for him. And... And Scripture enlightens us that we're not supposed to have some pithy answer, some easy, accessible, well, obviously this happened because everybody was bad, or obviously this happened because God was trying to teach everybody a lesson, or God was going to try to make their lives better as a result of it. When we try to come up with simple answers to really painful moments, all we do is make things more painful for the people who are in great pain. But God does provide a way to, to show his goodness, to show his goodness and to prove that he is good. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And, and it's a very timely one for us because Kim and I both uh, this week received some very bad news. We had a friend who we know um, in Oregon when we pastored out there, uh, our next door neighbors, a little girl that was our girl's age at the time, and uh, they were friends together. Uh, we got word this week that she had been missing for a week. And, uh, and they discovered her body on the side of the road in Oregon, and it was just really bad news for the family. And, and, uh, and you know, it was, it was actually just a, it was an act of God that we even knew the information. I think Kim was just skimming the news and just happened to come across the article and, and knew that God had given us that. And it was helpful for me to know what I'm going to share with you today because I didn't try to answer the questions that obviously people asked during those times. All I did was reach out and say, look, we're... We love you, we care about you, and we're praying for you. Um, and just because here's, here's what is so important for us to understand is that God does prove undeniably that he is good, but it is almost never through just the words that we say. And uh, we're going to look at three things that Scripture clearly tells us, clearly tells us. This, these passages, we're going to look at three different passages, and each passage says basically the same thing. But as we look at each of these patches, understand it highlights one aspect of it. So that I hope, what I hope you and I walk away from here today is, is realizing these are the things that need to be in my life so that other people can see, see that God is good. And, and 
and also to appreciate and to praise him for the fact that not only is he using us to help each other see the goodness of God, he is using others to help us see the goodness of God when we need to know and understand it. So pray with me, and then we will begin to look at each of these three things. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great you are, and Lord, that you are so zealous to let us know how good you are. Father, in a world that is seem sometimes devoid of goodness, Lord, in a world that sometimes, Lord, we, we try to not even watch the news because of such devastation around us and because of so many negative things happening around us. And, and Lord, just pray, God, that today you would help us to see your goodness, your grace. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing that we want to look at are good works. Good works. Good works are basically when you and I do good things, helping people across the street, being very neighborly. I, I was struck today, I, I'm sure most of you are aware that Senator John McCain passed away uh, yesterday, and, uh, and regardless of political affiliation or whatever, I am encouraged by the things that people focus on today are the things that he did that were positive or meaningful, because it's the good works, not that we, all, we all have done bad works, but it's the good works that help us to see that we serve a good God. But I think there's really no greater illustration, and I'm, I'm glad that I'm connected with this group, but is our disaster relief workers with these yellow jackets and yellow shirts and yellow hats that go all over the world. And the reason why I picked this particular picture is because it's not a Baptist picture. It's a picture, it's a secular picture. It's one that FEMA produces. It's one that the world uses to illustrate uh, us meeting the needs of people who have suffered from disasters all over the world. If you're not familiar with Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, uh, we have a chapter within Kentucky. It's called Kentucky Baptist Disaster Relief. And it's just a group of volunteers who are trained to go out when disaster strikes, to go at a moment's notice. You get a text message, and uh, you have to be trained, but you, you get a text message, and you are asked to volunteer, go out for a week or two weeks at a time to a place uh, that's suffered some type of disaster to feed people, to cut trees, to uh, clean yards, to minister, to clean up homes and so forth. There's mud out training and so forth. There's chaplaincy programs. Basically, whatever needs people have in a particular area as they're going through a crisis, we go there. But what makes this so unique is how in the news and, and in FEMA's literature as well, they will say that when disaster strikes, there is no agency who is there first before Baptist disaster relief workers. And, and I don't say that to highlight because it's irrelevant the fact that we're Baptist disaster relief workers because that's not why the people who are doing it are doing it. They're doing it because they're followers of Jesus Christ and they have an opportunity to show God's love. And they want to demonstrate because they're not being paid to be there. They want, they're just here showing up in a yellow jacket to identify them. They have to be identified in some way to get, to get back into the area of emergencies. To show people who are suffering that God loves you. And that's it. By me putting, getting up early in the morning and fixing all this food and having food ready to feed thousands of people. And, and, by, uh, and your gifts go to this. When you gave in the offering plate, part of that money goes to disaster relief and helps to fund that program so they don't have to 
get it out of their pockets, but they do show up, volunteer, and then serve food or do whatever. Whatever they're doing, they're doing it. They're there just so that those people are hurting so they can say, look, I know you're going through a really hard time right now. I'm not here to try to explain why you're going through a hard time. I'm just here to show you God still loves you, that he is still good. He's still good. They meet together and they pray, and they pray that by their acts of service, that they don't just do the acts of service and then leave it at that, but it gives an opportunity to share the gospel. There's a program called Operation Inasmuch, and whenever I talk about Operation Inasmuch, I hope that somebody in the congregation goes, that sounds amazing. I would like to head that up and lead that next year, and I would be very excited about that if you came to me and said that. Uh, but uh, at our last church, we had, uh, we had somebody that headed it up, and, and thank God, each subsequent year, someone has risen up and said, I'll take it this year and, and run with it. But what it is basically is one day out of the year, which your church, church like ours, or several churches together, combine and say, we want to do multiple ministry outreaches in our community simultaneously. Things like cleaning up yards, and we always, Baptists have to build a ramp. We always are ramp builders, or you build a ramp, or, or to change oil. One of my favorite ones is, the, is changing the oil for widows or single moms, and, and basically you just set up an appointment. We get a bunch of oil and filters and waivers, and, uh, and, we, and you bring your car in, and we change the oil for free. And while you're getting your oil changed, your leaves raked, or, or your yard cleaned up, or your ramp built, there's a group of people, one or a group of people who are trained to stand beside you and just talk to you while it's being done and share with you why we do it. And that is because we wanted the opportunity to show you, tell you that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, and, and share the gospel with people. It's much easier to communicate the good news to people when they see that God is good, and so this is what he does. He uses our good works. Look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Peter tells the church this. He says that this is, this is God's plan. This is what we are supposed to be doing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, meaning the people of the world, the nonbelievers, that we are to be conducting ourselves in an honorable fashion. They're to not think ill of us or think that we're evil people. So, so that in a case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, when they say bad things about you, when they say that you're evil, he said they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. Meaning it will be indisputable. When people say oh, that awful church or whatever, what do they say? It will, be, it will be denounced because they will see that we are loving people, that we do good things because we serve a good God. And they will glorify God as a result of our good works. We want them to see our good works. Not because we want them to see how great we are. We want them to see how great our God is. We want them to see how good our God is. And so that's what we do. So here's, here's what we need to do. We need to live the good life. Live the good life. But we need to redefine what the good life is. The good life is also known as the Jesus life. The Jesus life. And, and we used to have these little bracelets or reminders to, set, to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? But it has to go beyond that. A, a guy named uh, Gail Irwin wrote a book years ago called The, the Jesus Style. And what it is is that Jesus has a certain style of how he lived life, and, and we need to think, how, does, how would Jesus think in this situation? How would Jesus feel about these people? 
How would Jesus respond to these people? How would Jesus minister to these people? And when you read through the Gospels over and over and over again, and we need to be reading through the Gospels over and over and over again, as we see how Jesus interacts with people, how he interacts with the woman at the well, how he interacts with the blind, how he interacts with the lame, how he interacts with the lepers, how he interacts with his own disciples, when he interacts with the Pharisees, how he interacts with all these different people, we begin to see a pattern of how Jesus responds to people in general. And we need to also respond to people in that same way. We need to, and, do, and Jesus did good works all the time. He was doing good works, and this is what Peter is saying to the church. He's saying, we also need to be doing good works, doing good works so that people will observe our good works and glorify God. So good works are, are one way that we prove that God is undeniably good. And a second way is through light. Through light. One of my greatest illustrations of being the light of the world, and Jesus told his followers when he was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, said, You are the light of the world. And he's talking to us. We are the light of the world. Now, we know that Jesus is the light of the world. He then says that we are the light of the world. And what he means by that is, is when we reflect him, very much in the same way the moon reflects the sun, when we, when we reflect his good works, we also become light to people in dark places. I love lighthouses, one, because they're beautiful and they're in beautiful places, and, and uh, this particular lighthouse is in uh, Oregon on the coast. We've been here to this place, and, and it's a beautiful place at sunset. It's just beautiful all around. But it's, uh, I, they don't usually use it the way that uh, it used to be used. It's kind of just a museum piece. They have other beacons or whatever, high-powered lights that they use to protect ships from the coastline. But lighthouses do two things. They, they warn ships. They warn ships that there is a a uh, danger in that area. And they also are a beacon of hope. When you've been lost at sea and, you've, and you have had no sight of land, when you see that light, you realize, ah, oh, there it is. There's, there, you have the hope of finally making it back home. And that is exactly what we are to do as a light of the world. By doing good works, by, by letting the world see our good works, we become light to the world by warning them that by not by living a life other than this, that there are disastrous consequences. There are disastrous consequences. And also, we provide hope. Said, so look, if it's possible for me, it's possible for you. It, and what I mean by that is, is that so, so often, again, this is where words fall short. When I go to somebody and say, hey, you need to stop drinking, or you need to quit smoking, or you need to stop overeating, or you need to go to bed at a certain time, or wake up at a certain time, or you need to get a job, or you need... And we, we just use words like that to try to correct people, and get you need to live this way, or do this, or act this way, and, and be more like this. When we do that, it doesn't really help people, and people don't respond great because of it, because it just doesn't provide a lot of hope. But when we demonstrate it, when we live that life, when we live a life where we have overcome addictions, where we live a life where we have overcome uh, habits that we were trying to break, when we live a life where we are able to be faithful in faithless situations, when we begin to live out the power of God in our lives, people then want to know, how do you do that? Or, or they say, I would love to be like you, but I can't be the dad that you are, or be the mom that you are, or be the, the worker that you are. When you, when you demonstrate yourself to be always doing good, 
or at least doing good a lot of the time. And that is our opportunity to say, well, let me tell you that that light is not, I am not the source of that light. (laughs) That light comes from above. Look what Matthew 5 says. Matthew 5. Jesus is talking, he's in the Sermon on the Mount. He said that we are salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. City on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he says this in verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. All we're, so we have good works that we are doing, and all he's saying here is, is people need to see it. People need to see it. Don't live your life in private. Live now, if you're not living for God, yeah, stay private. <laughs> but if you are, if God is, if God is using you, moving in you to good, do good works, start by letting your family see that. Let your children see it. I think I've mentioned before, if you have a great prayer life, and your family doesn't know you have a great prayer life, you need to let them see that you have a great prayer life. Not for the purpose of building you up. Not for the, If you have a great prayer life, you won't be doing it for that purpose. If you have a great prayer life, you're already humbled by that. But, but let them see. This is why my... If you want to know how I overcame, if you want to know how I do what I do, it's because of my prayer life. And let me show you how I pray. And what I have to do, what it takes for me to do this every day and how I get this, how it's the light of Christ and so forth in me, shining in me, and now I shine that to you. He showed me how to pray, now I'm showing you how to pray. He showed me how to care for people, now I'm showing you how to care for people. He ministered to me, so now I'm ministering to you. Let the light of Christ shine through you and everywhere. So where the, when the world is watching, when the world is watching, Shine. Shine. Because here's the thing. He is going to assemble people in your life. He is going to create an opportunity for you to shine bright. And that is when you need to shine. Well, no better illustration of this. There is no better illustration of this than Jesus himself. And it is the third aspect of this. We have good works. It needs to shine like light. Let those light, those good works shine like light into the world. And it needs to contain his love. There is no greater illustration of love being displayed in public. And I don't know whether I first came to this conclusion after I saw the Passion of Christ. I believe it was before. I think it was just from reading the Gospels that I, I believed this. But it was, it was definitely after seeing the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it definitely emblazoned this upon my spirit. Because I cannot get out of my head the image of Jesus being nailed to the cross... And I own this, it had been preached to me before I ever saw the movie that when it says, when he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do, 
the way it's written is not that he said it once, but that he was saying it over and over and over again. And, and I, I just want, I hope that you will let this sink in for a moment. Because what, what he's saying is, what the scripture is telling us is that as Jesus has been beaten and tortured, and, and I want you to kind of think of yourself in a moment, think of yourself in a moment where you were ridiculed, when you were embarrassed, when you were mocked, and then people hurt you. And they hurt you worse than you've ever been hurt before. And I want you to think of the thoughts you funk when that was happening. I want you to kind of put yourself in that situation of a time when you were embarrassed and ridiculed and then hurt, whether it was physical pain or emotional pain or all of it combined, when you were really being mistreated. And when Jesus was being mistreated, his thought was, I love these people, and I want you to forgive them, Father. I just, it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable how he can love as it's happening to him. I, I've had, you know, I've, through therapy and through many years and, or mo- weeks and months or whatever, getting separated from things like I finally, I'm able to overcome this and so forth. You know, I was even relating last week, I just had minor surgery, and, and the pain from that made me irritable. I was just, you know, just the pain that Kim didn't even inflict on me. I'm not very forgiving and loving. I can't imagine what he went through. And not only that, while he's on the cross, while he's dying, loving his mother, loving his disciples, loving the guy being killed for crimes next to him. Ensuring his eternal destiny. Loving his accusers. Who does that? Jesus does that. We see in Scripture, because bring it down in human terms, things that we can kind of... Moses also, when Moses was ridiculed by his family, when Miriam accused him and so forth, when the people of Israel were constantly causing problems, Moses prayed and interceded on their behalf. Loved them anyway. When Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers and, and was taken into Egypt and had the opportunity for revenge and retribution, he said, you know what? What you meant for evil, God meant for good and showed them grace and love. When David, who was anointed to be the next king, was sought after by the current king and, and sought to be killed, had the opportunity to put him in his place two different times and refused to touch the Lord's anointed, he said, Because he was filled with the love of God and refused to do that which he knew would be wrong, even when it would be for his own betterment. Loved his son Absalom, even when his son betrayed him and sought to overthrow him in the kingdom, he would not harm him and mourned for his loss. These illustrations of love are are carried through the Old Testament and and given us amazing light in the New Testament through not only Jesus, but through the apostles and, and the events of the early church. But we see it today. We get to we get to embrace this, experience it on a regular basis. The person who led me to the Lord, I was I always get emotional talking about it, but it wasn't the preacher, 
It was my mother. And when people ask, can an eight-year-old understand the unconditional love of Christ? There's a simple answer. They can if it's been modeled before them by another person. And that's what moms do. That's what my mom did. She modeled unconditional love in a way that I didn't even think it... It didn't even dawn on me that it would be improbable or something unlikely that a person would do. I absolutely believe she loved me unconditionally, and I just transferred that over to God loves me the same way. She made the love of God real. Moms and dads have the opportunity to do that all the time, and we have the opportunity. We, we know people in our lives who have loved us when we were unlovable, when we've seen very unlovable people and seen people love those people. That's when we demonstrate, that's when we show that Jesus is real. And Jesus says, this is what you're supposed to do in John chapter 13. He's already said that through good works and through light, the world is supposed to see these things to know and glorify God. But this is when he brings it all down. He says in verse 34, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He's saying, this is how people know that I'm real. This is how people know that what you're saying is real. They'll know that you're followers of me, and they'll know that the God that you're following is a good God because you love them with my love. So this is what we do. We prove the existence of Jesus by loving the unlovable. We, we prove that He is real by showing people how we can love people who normally couldn't be loved. And let me tell you, this is what God's doing in your life. He's going to bring, if He hasn't already, He's going to bring unlovable people into your life for you to do good works in t- for them. And he's going to let the world see it. He's going to let your light shine so the world can see it. So he's already constructing this in your life. If you don't know it, he's doing it. He's going to put you in a situation if he hasn't already. And if he has, he's going to do it again because he does it over and over and over again because it brings glory to himself. It lets people know that the gospel is true. And so he's creating a situation in your life where he's surrounding you with people introduces an unlovable person and tells the world, watch this. Now, he won't do it until he's prepared you for that. He's prepared. Unless you think you can do it without being prepared, then he'll let you know you can't. He'll put you in that situation. You'll fail. And then he says, okay, now let me teach you how to do it. And so he starts with slightly unlovable people. (laughs) He starts with, uh, I call them children. But anyway, he starts with slightly unlovable people. And, uh, and so he makes a little bit challenging. And you know what I'm talking about. He's, these are the people that Rick Warren calls EGRs, extra grace required people. And, he, and I love what Rick Warren says. He says, if you don't have any EGRs in your life, then you probably are an EGR. And, and, and because there are people that God brings into our life, and it's not that they're bad people or whatever. It's just that we just don't love them easily. And he says, I want you to learn to love them. 
And so we get to learn to love them. And maybe that's where you are right now. And so here's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't just shove that away. Don't pretend they don't exist. Don't try to run away from it. Don't say, God, if you could just get me out of this situation, I'll be faithful to you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. No, he's saying, no, I I need you to love them. I need you to do this. I need you to love this person or this group of people. And I'm going to bring people around and I'm going to let them see you love these people. Because... That way my light will shine, and then they will believe when you say that I love the world so much. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, this, if you think this is great, if you think this is amazing, you've not seen anything. Because it's really when Jesus was here. Let me grab a tissue real quick. Talk about my mom. She's got me all her nose. Um, when Jesus was here, he came along and he said, hey, are you hungry? Let me feed you. These are... Jesus was, of course, surrounded with unlevel people. He knew these people were going to crucify him. He already knew this. Yet he's feeding them. He's giving blind eyes to see that are going to go out and see perverted things. He's making lame legs to run that he knows are going to go out and steal stuff and, and, and hands and things that are going to do all kinds of bad things. And he, he makes these people well. Because he's not doing it because he thinks they're going to do something amazing with the fact that he's just trying to show how good God is. And people throng around him. They're like, oh, my goodness, God is so good. We want to, we want to be a part of this goodness, and we want to see how good God is. We want, to be, we want to witness this. And he says, wait a second, you think this is good? The fact that I fed you a meal for a day, the fact that I gave you sight, the fact that I brought your kid back from the dead, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die for you, and not only am I going to die for you so your sins can be forgiven, I'm going to re- be resurrected from the dead. And then I'm going to resurrect you from the dead. And then I'm going to give you a new body that will live forever. And I'm going to prepare a place for you in my kingdom where I can oversee you for all eternity and provide all that you need in order to have perfect life forever. Always embraced in my love. That's how much I love you. And you don't even deserve it but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Now, when you and I reflect that type of love, when we love unlovable people, people go, how do you do that? And I'm going to tell you, let me tell you how I do that. Because I serve a God who loves you so much that he gave his only son to die for you. And if you will believe in him, you won't perish but you will have everlasting life. Now that has become believable. It's become believable because you've already illustrated how it changed you. And so that's why we do good works. That's why we let it shine before people. And that's why it has to be through the love, not that we have in and of ourselves, but the love of Jesus. And so here's the invitation. Will you ask God today to prove, prove his goodness both in your life and through your life to others? And what I mean by that is if you are having trouble today believing he is good, ask him if he will prove that he is good through the lives of other believers, through the lives of his church. He will do that because he is a good God. And if you know he's good Will you pray today that he will show his goodness through you into the lives of the people that you know, that they will see 
God's goodness in you and be drawn to his love and be transformed by it just as you were. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great and amazing you are. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for showing it to me so many times over and over again through so many people in this room, Lord. There's so many people in so many places around the world today. Father, I am so blessed to have seen your goodness through your people. And so, Father, I pray, Father, that your goodness will show through me. And I pray that prayer for everybody here. I pray that everyone here already knows your goodness. But if there's someone here who does not, that today they will know how much you love them, how good you are, what a good God you are, and what, a, what good news you have for their life. And I pray that they'll desire to know that. And, Lord, for those who do know it, I pray that we would show it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.